Welcome to the Higher Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Welcome to Higher Learning. I am your host, Oz Rashid. Today, we have a very special guest, John Ferguson, Head of HR, Chief Human Resources Officer with NASCAR. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing well, my friend, doing well. No complaints. It, it is a beautiful day here in sunny Daytona Beach, Florida. So it's exciting. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. I got to ask you, like I've asked everybody, your new year has gotten kicked off. Are you a big resolutions guy? Do you have any resolutions in place? I do have some resolutions in place. It is dry January. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually doing the same thing. In fact, I have, my friends have been characterizing it as dry January. And I said, I don't want to call it dry January. I'm not drinking to see how it impacts my body. And if I get a drink on the 28th, I don't want to, I don't want to let go of that dry January. What's it for you? What's kind of your motivation? Fluid there too. I think at the top of the year, it's always just a time to get to reset, recharge. And so dry January along with, and I'm not a heavy drinker, but just something to challenge myself, but also just physical fitness. So I've been on a kick to make sure I keep those things right. Cause I have a baseline that I want to always be able to maintain no matter how old I get. So the top of the year is always a good time to check those gears, make sure I can still run three or four miles and not pass out. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. That's the same thing for me. I've always known that alcohol has played a part on your body composition. I yeah. think I'm trying to test how much by being upstanding from it all together. And then who knows? Maybe this will lead to better habits going into February, March. That's what you want with any of these resolutions, right? Yes, definitely. And another uh, token or I guess mantra I'm taking into the new year is if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Uh, and so when you just think about protecting your time and understanding the balance of it all. Yeah, I'm totally with you. So if we're going to get a beer together, we're going to make it in February. I'm not that far from Daytona Beach. I'll give you a ring. We'll let you know. But we're going to hold off on January. I don't need any more pressure. Sounds like you're good, but I certainly don't need more pressure. So we'll figure it out then. I'm so glad you're taking time to talk with us. I'm so interested in NASCAR. Obviously, I'm super familiar with the sport from watching on TV, seeing the races. I haven't actually attended an event, but I wanted to find out more about it because I'm curious. I know that Part of what you're trying to do is make the audience more curious about NASCAR. So I want to see it a little bit more through your eyes and what drew you to the organization. But I really want to start here because you start your career has been in sports for a while. You were with Monumental Sports Group before becoming to NASCAR. I have to imagine the opportunity to be a real change agent was something very appealing to you. And I guess my question is, has that been something that has been important to you in every role that you've taken on? Or was that something here at NASCAR that was particularly enticing in terms of really impacting and affecting change? No, no, I appreciate that. I think when I started my career, that was probably not on my radar. But now that I am experienced and have been in a few different shops, I think it's always important to me to make sure that where I go, A, I can bring my set of values to that organization. And hopefully there's there's a marriage there. But more than that, make sure that I can leave the space better than I found it. One of my first leaders told me, no matter where you go, you always want to make sure that you're able to leave a footprint. And at 21, 22, I'm like, leave a footprint. I'm just trying to get this paycheck and get to the next happy hour. But the older I've gotten in my career, I understand what she really meant by that. You want to make sure that you leave an impression. You want to make sure that you leave a foundation that others can build upon when they come after you. And when I think about every move I've made in my organization, I, I hope that others would say that I left a footprint because we all have unique talents and gifts that are ours. 
And I hope that when I was in said organization, I was able to flourish and they were able to reap the benefits of those talents, those values and those benefits. But even when I left, hopefully I left them in a better place. But they also there was a footprint that I wouldn't say is unique to me, but there's a unique skill set that John Ferguson brings to it. There's a unique skill set that you bring to your role. And that's what allows all of us to continue to elevate. And I think ultimately is what really plays into an organization's competitive advantage, which is really allowing those individuals to live and walk in their purpose. Yeah, I really love that. And one of the things that really stood out to me about what you just said is we talk a lot about motivations, right? For candidates going into new roles. And I think about my motivation earlier on in my career. And to your point, a lot of it was financially driven. I wanted to be in something a little more incentive-based. I wanted to do something taking advantage of sales and marketing when I had started my career in technology. But what's amazing is as I was in recruiting, and this is about 15 years ago now, I started to realize the impact I was having beyond anything financial, right? I had somebody come back to me and say, Oz, you helped me relocate my family to Dallas and there's a much bigger Indian community here. Or somebody said, you helped get me a $30,000 raise and now I can send my son to private school. I had somebody tell me, hey, we were working together on an opportunity. You told me to go ask for promotion at my current company. I've been promoted twice since. And I think I started to realize at that point that I'm leaving a footprint with these people. I'm doing something different. And that has been a vehicle for me for the last 15 years. And it's just funny because had you asked me that at 24, 25, I would have had a different outlook. So it's awesome that you went through that kind of same spectrum and, and you're making that impact. You mentioned in our prep that you weren't big into NASCAR prior to joining, but you soon realized that exposure is the key as most people who get it start to love it. Tell me about your first exposure to NASCAR and what happened and what kind of was risen in you from that. Yeah. So I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. I was always aware of motorsports and NASCAR, but I actually had never been to a race. I grew up in a family of mechanics and drag racers. So some of that was in my blood. But when I got the opportunity with NASCAR, I was like, interesting. So I'll be very transparent here. My first race was a week before I started. Of course, I read a bunch of books and looked up the rules and the regs because it can be a complex sport. But one thing I'll, the impression my first race made on me is the one that confirmed my decision to join the organization and to join the sport because NASCAR is a sport that I think you really got to see, touch and feel because you can watch those cars go around and around on TV. But when you get here, you can smell the rubber. You can hear the engines roar. You can see the energy of the crowd. It's a completely different experience. So I think that's key for everyone. So I would say if you've never had the opportunity to experience NASCAR firsthand, I highly encourage you to do so. We're really excited. It's our 75th anniversary of the sport. So it's our 75th season. Many don't know that NASCAR was founded here in Daytona Beach on the hard part on the hard pack sands. So yes. our first races were like a half beach loop and then half on the road. So you were, they would race on the sand of the beach and then go another lap around the road. So it's, it has a lot of history, a lot of innovation over those 75 years. And one of the big things we're really proud of this year is that where we're hosting our races. Here in the next couple of weeks, the first weekend in February, I believe we're going to host the, the Clash, which is the race that we host at a, essentially a quarter mile track at the LA Coliseum, where they hosted the Olympics. We're going to be driving NASCAR, having official race, preseason race there. And then following that, we come off to our Holy Grail, which is the Daytona 500. And then this summer for our 75th season, we're really kicking it up a notch. We are, we have announced a street course in Chicago around Grant Park. So that's that's tremendous, but it's really talking about the innovation and the evolution of the sport. We started here in Daytona Beach and now we're going all the way across to the West Coast. We're going up to Chicago and we're doing things that we haven't done traditionally because we got to keep the sport fresh. Yeah. I think it's such an advantage for your sport too, because more and more as sports has matured over time, it's becoming more of a 
TV set, sit at home, have your food, have your beer, have whatever around you. And it's just a much more comfortable and cheaper experience, whether that be NBA, whether that be NFL, whether that be baseball. And with NASCAR, I hear you loud and clear. Being there is different. Being in the stands, hearing the roar of that engine, it's a completely different thing, something that you just cannot capture on TV. And I love that you're taking it in different directions from an innovation perspective, because one of my, my one of my kind of criticisms would have been, but they're going in that circle and they're doing it at a couple of different tracks, right? But the fact that you're taking it out and putting it in more unique venues and really driving innovation, I think that's really smart. I think it's going to take the sport to another level. And the other thing I think about NASCAR that people don't know unless you're in the sport is how family friendly it is. So most mm. track locations, not all, but most, you can bring in a cooler to the event. Like mm. what sporting event is going to let you bring in a cooler? Heck that no. saves you dollars, especially if you're bringing your family. The other thing is I think NASCAR allows you to get close to the action. So pre-race is a pre-race concert. You can get infield access. But those passes, those are upsells. You get your general ticket, but then you can upsell to get infield access. You can upsell to get pre-race, pre the pre-race concert access. But they allow you to get close to the star power, the drivers. How many times can you say you've been to a an NFL or NBA game and you sat courtside and you got to shake hands with your favorite player? It's probably rare. And if it is, it's not something that you take a family of five to. But here at NASCAR, you can bring a family of five and get infield access and allow your kids to go on the grid and get pictures with their favorite driver. Give someone a high five. I think those are the things that make the sport unique that most people wouldn't. You you don't get that from watching it on television. Before every race, everyone has the opportunity to go down and start the and sign and autograph the start finish line. It's phenomenal. So when that green flag drops, it's all motors roaring and a good time to be had. But you're getting me hyped up. I'm juiced. I'm going to go look for, um, I might be going up to the Daytona 500. That sounds Let's amazing. Let's go. Let's make it happen. I love it. So listen, people who aren't familiar with NASCAR, like myself, had assumptions. Hell, I've had assumptions in the past in terms of what it must like to be there. So I want to ask you, you're the head of HR, the head of talent there. What are maybe some of the misconceptions of what you're, and what are you trying to build from an employee value proposition mm-hmm. that you would want people who are being offered an opportunity at NASCAR to know prior to starting? Gotcha. Gotcha. I think it's big on making sure that we as an organization are focused on our employment brand to tell people where we are going. Because NASCAR does have a rich history, but one that has various stories and narratives, depending on your perspective and where you're coming from. And what I think is ahead of us is one that's built upon growing the sport. So we talked about innovation. We talked about, we haven't talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because I think when you think about NASCAR, you think of Talladega Nights. When you think about NASCAR, you are thinking about, I think, primarily of our fan base, but we are an organization. Just like there's other leagues and other companies, we're an organization. So when you look internal to us, we're all about innovating and cutting edge. So whether that's how can we, what can we do to grow our fan base? What can we do to attract new people to the sport? What can we do to maintain our current fan base? All of those things can coexist. One of the things that we're really excited about this past year's Daytona 500, we had one of the most diverse ownership groups racing. We had Brad Daughtry, we had Michael Jordan, we had Pitt Bull, we had Floyd, Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather. Yes. I was like, wait, what is it? Floyd Mayweather. But we had such a diverse group of ownership that hadn't been seen before, but that I want everyone to understand that is a signal to you of where we're going as a sport. We have an up and coming driver named Roger Carruth. He's from Washington, D.C. He's a current student at a historically black college and university, Winston-Salem State. He just became full time in the Crafts and Truck Series. So we are making progress here in the sport. And it's one that many people can't participate in, but you just got to give them the right exposure, the right access and the right tools to do so. We're definitely committed to that. So my biggest thing is I want people to know where we're going. We can look back in the rearview mirror and see where we've come from. But right now we're fully focused on moving forward and how we get there together. 
Yeah, I really love that, especially the diversity at the ownership level, at the car level, because that's actually not something you see a ton of in the other sports as well. So no. the fact that that's being a big place of emphasis, that only means that you're going to see more diversity in the sport as we go forward. And I think that's really important to continue to attract more fans. I'm really interested because you're leading HR there. Obviously, this is going places that the numbers are growing. It's the 75th anniversary. I'm interested in what you see your role as the head of HR in terms of talent management or DEI or learning and development, any of these traditionally talent initiatives for your organization, they're going to help push the sport forward, maybe internally and eventually reaching the masses in terms of the growth of the sport. Gotcha. Our president, Steve Phelps, always challenges us to think about our business differently. And that goes back. I've said it plenty of times already. Innovation. So what my what one of my core responsibilities is making sure that and ensuring that we have the workforce prepared to support and develop that innovation, whether that's from selling tickets, whether that's from marketing and creatives, whether that's from the research and design center that we have in Concord, North Carolina. We just, last year was our first year with the next gen car. It had tremendous success on the track. We had various people coming in different places, which was new and refreshing because you had different outcomes. You don't want your sport to be one that you can calculate. You want it to be fresh and exciting. So you don't know what's going to happen in the race. And so those are the things that we're really focused on. So I need to make sure that we got the right people in the right seats to help us produce the right outcomes. And when you look at that, taking a larger look at the um, the intersection of just the U.S. and who we are and who we're becoming will ensure that we have the right people in those seats to make sure that we are meeting people where they are, whether that's internally or externally as we grow the brand. But you, I meet with HR leaders and executives all the time. We talk about the importance of being ingrained in your business. I'm so impressed how ingrained you are in your business and how well you know it. Major kudos to you on that. Thank you. I got to tell you, this is a hiring podcast. We talk about hiring quite a bit. We're trying to drive a thread on people who are best at hiring. What are the things and constant themes of what they do? If I had to ask you, how many hiring processes have you been part of in your career? Would you say it's over hundreds, thousands? What would you say? For me as like a candidate or? No, no, you like interviewing or interviewing people, hiring people for either an organization or for your team. A lot. It's over a hundred, I'm sure. I would definitely say that that's, I don't mind it. Hiring is a tough role for me just because you have 30 minutes to an hour to try to determine if this person will be a good fit for your team. So I have moments where typically I can narrow it down to like my top two, but it's trying to figure out how do you, how does one edge above the other? And so for me, that's when it really comes into a group discussion because what may be inherent to me may not have been inherent to you, Oz. And so I want to make sure we balance that out because people show up differently depending on the interview setting. So you really got to try to look under the lid or under the hood, pun intended, to figure out who's the best candidate and who can help move your organization forward. I think the best thing that you can try to look for in hiring people is attitude. Hire the attitude, train the skill, because there's certain interpersonal things that you just can't teach. But I think if you have someone that's coachable and willing to learn and be a sponge, you can go far. Yeah, you're stealing the the questions right from me. I was going to ask you about your hiring philosophy, and I totally agree with that. You can hire for attitude and you can train aptitude. And I totally believe that. Obviously, there's different positions that that you might have to look at that a little bit differently. But I think I've had a lot of success with that in our organization. That's what we've advised a lot of our clients, depending on the role. And I think you're spot on with that. One of the things about hiring is that it's an inherently flawed process, right? Anybody who's listening to this podcast knows this is something that I believe has had to be rethought for a long time, whether it be the archaic use of the resume or this process where we go and we get a half hour and we're talking to people and hoping to really get down to the roots of what this person is going to be like to work with on a 40, 50 hour a week basis. It's inherently flawed and it's something that should be re-looked at. So I'm glad that you're seeing that same thing. When I ask you though, in terms of a memorable interview experience, whether it be one that you were interviewing for, or maybe you were interviewing somebody, 
what comes to mind? Good or bad? Don't have to name any names, obviously, but I'm just interested. I would say probably the most memorable interview I had for being for interviewing a candidate. It was early in my career, and it was when I was with in Washington D.C. with Monumental Sports. I think it was probably like an inside sales candidate. He's we do the interview, it went well. But then, what questions do you have? And he starts going down a list of questions. And it started becoming clear that he had Googled like what questions to ask. And he was just going down this list of 20. So at question number five, he's, so what is your severance policy? That was interesting. So I paused and I said, I got to ask you something. Do you know what severance is? He's like, no, but I have this list of questions that I need to ask. Oh, I took it as a moment just to educate him. That's a little off-putting because it's like a first date and you're saying, how do you like to break up? And so <laughs> we went through it. I think he learned a lot from it, but it was all putting. I think the biggest thing you also want to look at in interviews is like use good judgment. And so it was a learning moment for, I can't remember what was the outcome for him, but I definitely, as an HR leader, believe in coaching people. I wouldn't want him to leave that moment and go on 20 other interviews, still asking, what's your severance policy as an entry-level candidate? So I wanted to make sure he at least understood it. And in that moment, he's like, oh no, I didn't realize that. No, I'm not at all thinking about what the exit is. Like, I'm really excited about the opportunity. So it was a fun moment, but I believe in coaching because some Sometimes people don't. And then yeah. you just keep getting no's and no one told you it's because you ask about the severance policy in a phone screen. Yeah. I've said this before. Like, again, this was about 15 years ago when I was actually doing executive recruiting. But the feedback, the compliment that I got the most was when I actually went back and gave people the feedback on why or why not they got the role and tried to help them going forward. So they knew the next time they interviewed, people would stop and say, thank you for telling me that so that I can get better. So I love that you use a dating analogy, number one. That's a big thing for me. And I love that you're coaching and guiding. I'm going to dig into that a little bit deeper because I want to know, you're obviously, I think interviewing is a skill. When you went into the NASCAR interview or when you're going into any interview where you're interviewing, what is, obviously you want to be prepared. You want to have a list of questions that you're taking off of Google. But if we're giving advice to some younger professionals who are earlier in their career, what are some other things you would tell them in terms of knocking an interview out of the park? Ah, I love this part. So do your research, know who you're interviewing with and know the company, know something about the company. I've had people interviewing. I'm like, what do you know about Monumental Sports Entertainment? Or what do you know about NASCAR? I know you guys race cars. That sounds a little shallow. So then I may ask a little more. Then it can become apparent. You just apply for a job. You have no idea what you did. So make sure you understand the brand. Go on their website, look at the recent press releases, understand something that's current and fresh. But also look up the people that you're interviewing with. Oz, I'm sure you remember, you might have done 20 meet and greets in one day. At the end of the day, they all, they're the same. I can't remember. But what you do remember is a person that says, hey, I went to school at such and such. Oh, I went to school there. Or, hey, I knew someone that you knew or just small connections. So try to figure out what's a connective tissue that you have to that person or something that they have an interest in. That allows you to stand out. So when I've spoken to 20 candidates, they were all strong, but there's one person who figured out a more personal thread to, to sort of needle. And that's the person that stands out at the end of the day. The other thing I would say is I like to say, create a sheet of paper, put everything you want them to know about you in that interview on that sheet of paper. And when you go in, no matter what questions they ask, try to incorporate some of those things into those answers because it shows that you've been doing your research and that you were prepared for the interviews. Typically, I'm not going to say, what do you know about current events with NASCAR? But if you start incorporating that into your responses, so like, hey, why are you interested in this role? Well, I'm really excited about the opportunity to join an innovative organization. In my research, I saw that NASCAR is hosting its first street course in Chicago in July. That is phenomenal. So I was like, wow, okay. They've done a little research beyond just the role that they applied for. They understand our brand and where we're going. I think those are small things. And the thing is, be yourself. Take a deep breath, relax, come in, always have small talk. And people are like, well, I don't, I'm not good at small talk. Talk about the weather. 
That's my cheat sheet. Talk about the weather. When you come in, actually, Oz, you kicked it off today. We're talking about the weather. Hey, it's pretty nice down here in, in South Florida. How's it in Central Florida? Great. Talk about the weather. Those are small things that allow everyone to ease into the moment of interviewing. And then as a candidate, know that the interviewer is also nervous. Now, if you're early in your career, I think a life hack here is try to perfect the art of storytelling. You want your interview to be a, an enriching dialogue where it's casual and natural back and forth, not a rigid back and forth. Tell me about yourself. I am John Ferguson. I work at NASCAR. You don't want it to be robotic. You want it to flow as just a general dialogue. And we're just going as if you were talking to someone at the bar, maybe. So those are the advice that I have. And I would say practice. Practice makes perfect. You should be prepared for a few standard questions that will always be asked. Holy cow, Jackie, this is gold. This guy's coming for my job. That was amazing <laughs> advice. That's definitely going to help somebody who listens to that. One of the things that really stood out to me that you said, if you think about it, if you have empathy about the hiring manager and their perspective, right, which can be tough when you're interviewing for role, they do have a factory mindset, right? They're talking to so many different people and they're going through the questions they want to ask. And what you have to do is you got to stop the conveyor belt, right? Just like yes. you said, you've got to figure out a way, whether it be through your research, whether it be through your adv advocacy, whether it be through something that you're pulling out that's going to stand out in their head. That's how you stand out from a crowd in a positive way. I think that's really good advice. And to your point, you want to be able to break the ice. I think the more that it's a conversation, the more that you're building rapport, the more that person's going to sit back and remember, I enjoyed that conversation. That's somebody I want to work with. And at the end of the day, we forget this. That's what it comes down to. You want it to be, you want to be somebody that people want to work with. That's going to add value. And you do that in the interview. As flawed as that system is, if you can pull that off in a 30 minute to an hour situation, you're going to be doing, you're going to be a lot better off. I think that is amazing advice, John. I got to ask you, yes. I want to give away all your secret sauce. Do you have a favorite question that you ask in interviews? I do. I learned this from one of my previous colleagues. It's tell me about your, uh, tell me something about yourself, not on your resume. I think that allows me to dive deeper into who you are as a person, but something, who are you holistically? Of course, I've seen your resume. You've run down your education. You've run down your work experience or your internships, but I really want to know who are you as a person? And I think that when we when we have those conversations about tell me about yourself outside of your resume, I get to understand what are your hobbies? What are your passions? Someone may just share that, hey, I like to go skydive or hey, I like to do this on the weekends. And that allows you to get to know them holistically, because I believe you want to be able to bring as much of your authentic self into the workplace. But I think if we don't allow some of those conversations to get to that place, you never know, at least in that first 30 minute screen. I love that. I, I, that's so funny. It makes me think of this. I have this executive contact of mine. She's five foot one, somewhat meek female, went to Harvard, went to work at Bridgewater, but on her resume, she puts that she is a diehard wrestling fan. And I asked her about it. I go, wow, that's really different. I haven't really seen that on a resume before. She goes, it comes up in every interview and it makes people remember you. And that's it's actually true. something I'm pretty passionate about. And so if somebody else is, we can get into a conversation. So I think that that's a great tip there. And that's a great way to dive in and find out about the whole person. Because the resume is 10% of it, right? At the end of the day, you're hiring, not that resume, you're hiring a person that has thoughts, feelings, passions, outside of all that, as much of that as you can know going in, the better off you're going to be. I got to ask you, we all miss sometimes, right? When it comes yes. to in hiring, right? That's not something anybody's impervious to. When you miss on somebody, is there usually a common thread of something that you overlooked or something that you look back on and like, ah, if I just would have done this that yeah. you can look at throughout your career? So when I missed out on a candidate, yeah. Like when you make a bad hire and you look back, like and go, ah, I wish I would have done this. That's always tricky, though. That's Is always it something tricky. different every time. It can be something different every time. I think that it's been fewer instances where you have buyer's remorse. But I think typically I say you don't know if you've missed until probably after the first 90 days. 
Yep. Because I'm a firm believer that people send a representative for the first three months. So yeah. it's not until month four or five that you start to see some of those natural tendencies come to light. Mm-hmm. And then you have to figure out, OK, what is this? Is this something that we can work with or is this something that we probably need to start trying to coach out? I think typically the misses will remove themselves from the situation, in my experience. I think they naturally will start to feel this is not a fit. Or you have those people who are just job hoppers in general. They had no intentions of being there longer than 90 days. It's funny. Send the representative the first 90 days. I love that. And you have a problem when they don't send the representative the first 90 days. If you're getting something week two, week three, and you're like, oh, this is a total miss, that's a good sign that maybe you need to take action sooner than later, right? Yes. That's why these companies have these probationary periods. So you can try to sort of shift through that before it's outside of that window. But ultimately, it's it's... That's but the first night the sending their representative for the first 90 days or the first three months, that's in every relationship in life. Yeah, I love that. That's Great. not awesome. just in the workplace. That's in every relationship. We're getting work advice. We're getting life advice. John's got it all here. I love it. I got to ask you behavioral attributes for people you hire on your team. There are any come to mind when I ask you about that? Spirit of excellence. What's I want you mean? to have a spirit of excellence. I want you to understand striving for more. We're never going to rest on the status quo or rest on our laurels. We want to always dig in and continue to figure out how we can elevate. So that to me is a spirit of excellence. How can I carry more water? It's not, oh, I have enough water. My bucket's full. No, how can I carry more? How can I work smarter? And then I also think ownership mentality is key for me. Ownership mentality. You don't inherit, you don't pick up a problem and then try to pass it on to someone else. It's about trying to learn in the moment. And if you don't have the school, the skills or resources or the access to solve it, but staying with it so it becomes a learning moment for you. So spirit of excellence ownership mentality, and then just a desire to continue to I think if those three things are in place, you should be able to be successful, not only in an environment that I'm working with you, but in any environment. Yeah, I love that. That's really good. It's really important. We all agree to create a positive experience for candidates, right? I say that I think one of the most underrated forms of marketing in any big company is going to be the candidate experience. Because if somebody has a bad experience interviewing with you, that just doesn't mean that they're not going to take a job there. That doesn't mean they might tell their friends, hey, I'd watch out, don't take a job there. They might actually stop using your products and services, right? So there's a lot on the line when it comes to candidate experience. Not to just mention morally, it's the right thing to do to treat people well, especially if they're going through a process where they want to get a new job. What have you done around candidate experience for NASCAR? Is there anything in particular that you've done to make sure that there's a unique one where people get an understanding of what they're going to be walking into if they're to take a job with your organization? Correct. Now we are still developing that process. So I've been here a little over a year. So we're still in the works with that. One of the things that we've done is looking at video interviewing technology so we can do the one-way interviews, which allows for candidates to, to not be confined to core business hours to do the phone screen. I think it allows you to cast a wider net to more people because I can send out the one-way video interview. And if the only time that you get quiet time is at midnight, you can submit your video at midnight. We're not necessarily time bound by the process, but I think that's one thing that keeps it innovating and allows us to get to people in a faster cycle. So I think for us, you always want to try to mem- to mirror the candidate experience with the fan experience as best we can. Because to your point, you will apply to be a candidate, but maybe if you weren't familiar with NASCAR, now maybe you're a fan. And so we're looking at that whole process now to really reevaluate where are opportunities where we could place this video to help you learn more about who we are as an organization. Where can we place this video to help you show like, hey, here's an upcoming race. Would you be interested? Some people are really trying to also monetize that sort of candidate experience too. At the end, there's a takeaway. Here's a discount code. Thank you for applying. Here's a discount code to a race or here's a discount code to tickets. So those are just innovative ways in which you continue to cultivate that pipeline. But I do believe your interview and the candidate experience is one that's crucial. And then second to that is the first 90 days of employment. Are you giving those that you have decided to onboard the proper tools and resources to get up and running as 
fast and as smoothly as they can. I love the incentivized idea. That's really smart and a really good idea. You got some really good thoughts there, man. I'm so excited that we got a chance to dive into the hiring aspect because I think you have so much to offer. I also think for prospective candidates in terms of being early in their career and wanting to get ahead, especially in the interview process, you had some real gold in there, man. So I appreciate you sharing that. I want to take it in a little bit of a different direction. I've been asking executives, what is a day in your life like? You know what? It's mostly meetings. So I'm going to ask it a little bit differently. I'm going to ask you, when you have a day, when you go home at the end, you feel really good about it. What happened that day? I love that you said it's mostly meetings because that is true. Either I or my team help someone reach a new level, reach a new height. I think those are the days that are rewarding to me. Or if I speak to someone who's young in their career, because you don't know what you don't know. And so sharing something with them that maybe gives them a light bulb moment. Those are the days that are rewarding when you help someone overcome something or get clarity on something that they were trying to accomplish. I think that's, those are the days I believe I come home. I'm always fueled when I go to the hiring fair or when I go to speak on a panel with younger students or college students, early career professionals, because they're full of energy and they're full of excitement and all of that. And I think those are the people that you really want to pour into because I know that there are certain things I did and did not know. And so if I can offer you a couple of gems or a bit of advice that will put you ahead and I can do that, I want to do that. And I think those are the days that I go home and it feels rewarding to be doing the work that I'm doing. But also when we look at different initiatives and things that we're able to roll out across the company, because in HR, we have a little saying, no good deed goes unpunished, but we're always looking out for the best interests of our employees, best interests of the company. And so when we're really, when we're able to roll out new benefit offerings, et cetera, and then you can get to see how employees are excited about it. Those are the days that are rewarding. Yeah. You trigger something with me there that is something I'm very passionate about. How big is your campus recruitment and early in career strategy for NASCAR? Is that something that you've put a lot of emphasis on early on or is that yeah, something some, you see as longer term? That's a key priority for us as we look into 23. We want to make sure that we're getting in different markets in front of different audiences to showcase the brand of who we are. I think that the biggest power that we have, just as I told candidates in interviewing, is storytelling. I need to get out here and tell the story of who NASCAR is today and where we're going. Because if we leave it up to something that you think you may know or something you heard secondhand, that's not necessarily our narrative. So I want to make sure that we can meet you where you are and tell you where we're going and see if you want to join. So yeah, campus recruitment is definitely something that we're going to be heavy on in 23. And it will just start where we are. And I believe in start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. So we have a large footprint in North Carolina. We have a large footprint here in Florida. And we'll continue to perfect that process here and then expand it from there. Yeah, I love that you said that. Obviously, diversity is something important to almost every organization out there. And there's a lot of different things that you can do at the management level and the executive level. But I think one of the best ways is to create a funnel of either going to those HBCUs or going to any of those underrepresented groups and starting them at the beginning of the funnel and putting them through your learning and development and then them getting opportunities to grow throughout your organization. It's a lot of a longer cycle. You might not get that immediate payoff. But for me, that's what I've seen be a great strategy for a lot of organizations that are both trying to do it from the top down and from the bottom up. And so- that's and, why and, I was, and I'll say we're not new to this. So we have our NASCAR diversity internship program that's been around for, I think, around 20 years. We were for probably one of the earlier sports groups to really launch something with such intentionality behind it. So it's really exciting to see. So you talk about early career, you talk about campus recruitment. We've had that going on for the summer for a while now. Currently, some of our officers within the company started out as NASCAR diversity interns. So there's a story to be told there. And there's there's the outcome of that. So I think it starts with exposure. Then it starts with, we're going to give you real world experience here at NASCAR. And then from there, it can learn and turn into your first real job opportunity. And what we see with some of those folks, they started as an intern and never left. I love that. And that's one of the best selling points you can have. It's look at what it's led to in terms of some of the officers at this company. So that's amazing. What are you working on right now in particular that you're really juiced about? Or do you have a big objective for the year that's like, 
getting you up in the morning and get you going? I think our big objective for the year, ah, what is that? So learning and development. Learning and development is one that we're really focused on as a department. We have tremendous opportunities to just, I'll use the word elevate a lot, but elevate the how we're currently structuring it. Because what you have to think about pre-pandemic, we were all much more in a in-person environment. Now we're transitioning to a hybrid dual modality. And so we want to make sure that we're delivering content that's fresh to people for wherever they are and make it accessible to more people. So I think there's a lot of opportunities in the learning and development state, because I think that's a value proposition that you can add that everyone can benefit from. Because I think even if you may be frustrated in a role, or maybe you didn't get X opportunity that you went out for, but when you look at an organization that has rich learning and development programs, you know that you're constantly sharpening your toolkit. You're adding new tools to your toolkit. And I'm a firm believer that sometimes the growth that you desire may not be where you currently reside. But if you were able to add some new skills to your toolkit while you were with X company, then that means you're able to take something outside of just your paycheck or outside of just going to work every day that helped make you better for the next role, the next opportunity, whatever that may be for you. Yeah, I think you really got to tie together your acquisition, development, and retention strategy. And that development is really the bridge between those two things, because you're going to attract more talent when they see that you invest and develop, right? And then you're going to keep more of your talent when they're being invested in developing. And hopefully you're going to receive the rewards of whatever that development and the outcome leads to. So I think that's a really sharp idea on your part. And I think you guys are doing some great stuff around that. Sounds very exciting. I want to ask you, we do something on here. We pull up an old LinkedIn post to get your thoughts on what you were thinking at the time when you posted. So this is from five months ago. I'm truly honored to be recognized by Savoy Magazine as a 2022 most influential Black executive in corporate America. Savoy's most influential Black executives in corporate America is the definitive list listing of African-American executives, influencers, and achievers impacting the corporate space. I'm thankful for the trailblazers, mentors, and colleagues that have opened the doors for me. I'm on a mission to pay it forward to whom much is given, much is accepted. Onward and upward together. Power 300. I love that. When you were when you got notified that you won this award, what did it mean for you? And then can you give us a little more color around why this award is in particular one that stood out to you? It was unexpected. I think most of us, sometimes you go through life trying to reach different milestones. I think most of my career has just been guided by, I had an early mentor tell me, flow to where the opportunities are. And so I believe in doing the work where I am and whatever comes of that will come. And I think this was one of those moments where you don't know who's watching you that really made it that much more special because I was familiar with Savoy, but didn't see myself as a person that would make that list. But I believe when you continue to do the good work, not worried about what may or may not come and just focus on where you can make an impact, where you can leave a footprint and doing the right thing and treating people right. I think these are some of the things that come out of that. So that's what made it very special because when you're an executive for any organization, it can be lonely. And so I think these are the things that give you that confidence when you may feel lonely at a certain time to say, keep doing it, keep taking one step at a time because your work is making an impact and it is helping someone somewhere see or do something that they didn't realize they could do. Congratulations. I think anyone listening to this can see why it's so well-deserved. Really happy for you, man. And I'm glad it made such an impact on you. Last question before I let you go. If you could offer one bit of career advice that maybe you didn't have early on in your career that you know now for any of our younger listeners or early in career talent, what would it be? I would say you are in charge of your professional development. And I like to say closed mouths don't get fed. So always apply, always say yes to yourself. Let someone else tell you no. And there's another piece that I heard here recently says, when you don't know what is possible, you will accept what is available. Ooh, love that. When you don't know what is possible, you will accept what is available. 
So stay curious, be curious, ask questions, have rich conversations with people to figure out how they navigated to where they were in their career. Because I'll tell you right now, 18-year-old John graduated from high school would not have envisioned where he is today. And so that goes back to flowing to where the opportunities are and just surrounding yourself with good people that can help you along that journey. I love that. So if anybody wants to find out more about you, if there's anything about NASCAR that you want to plug or let us know about, here's your form. Let us know. All right. So I would definitely tell you to check out NASCAR.com. Follow us on all social media outlets. I would also tell you to follow me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect there. I try to share some thought pieces there. And if I learn it and it's something new and innovative, I want to share it there. But also you can see some of the cool and innovative things that we're doing from an employment brand perspective. I also encourage you to follow NASCAR on LinkedIn as well. We're looking to grow our page and enhance some of the content that we share there because sometimes you can have a page that's very corporate. We want to make sure you get a little flavor for who we are as an organization. I love that. I follow you on LinkedIn. It's well worth it. Lots of good advice as we've heard on the podcast as well, man. So I'm so appreciative of you taking a little bit of time for us. Good luck on the 75th season. And I hope the preseason race at the Coliseum goes off, man. It's going to go well. We got to get you to a race soon. So be on standby. All right. I will. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.